Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to reverence the reading of God's Word, uh, continuing on a series of messages I'm calling our Peace in Christ. And today, uh, the second part of a message I call a collage of blessings, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word today as my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> the apostle is showing us in this passage how the peace that Jesus Christ bought for us, purchased for us, when He died on the cross on Calvary, uh, plays out in all of our lives. And He's shown us a couple of scenes. The, the first one uh, was, of course, uh, the citizenship scene. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Also, there's a, a family group of pictures. We are members, he said, of the household of God. Because of Jesus Christ, we are citizens of heaven. Because of Jesus Christ, we're a member then of God's forever family. We've been received into the family of God. The third scene that he mentions is in our text today, how that we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and all the building then is being fitly framed together. Imagine, if you will, that you're building a new house. Uh, you've worked on the idea for a long time. you found a place. You've got a lot. Everything is done. You call the uh, building project or building people and they bring out everything basically related to the building of your new house and they deliver it all. Uh, over here there's a pile of blocks. Beside it there's a pile then of, of mortar sacks and over here a pile of sand. Besides them is, is various stacks of lumber, uh, some uh, wafer boards, some uh, two-by-fours, two-by-sixes of all sizes and shapes and lengths. Over here then you'll see a big stack of bricks, several of them, huge stack of bricks. Over there is a stack of shingles. And I could go on. You know, the sheetrock is there. I mean, there's uh, uh, those planks they put down on the floor. Uh, laminate. There's a big stack of laminate. Uh, you wouldn't bring somebody over to that house or that place where you're going to build a house and say, let me show you my new house because it's not a house yet. Uh, all the parts are there, all the pieces are there, but it has to be built together. And when the Apostle Paul talks about us as being built together, then he describes how that we as God's people, individuals though we are, are all being built together as a part of a spiritual structure that he calls God's home, God's habitation, a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now in the Old Testament, uh, God had a house, a temple. It was in Jerusalem. It was constructed of huge stones, each one of them about the size of a pickup truck. Uh, that temple was over 50 years under construction. It was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. And that temple in Jerusalem has never been rebuilt. It was a beautiful structure, a magnificent structure. It was a symbol like the tabernacle before it of the presence of God, the habitation of God with His people. God had told them, I will meet with you there. It was a temple. 
made of stones, mortar, all kinds of beautiful, ornate things. In the New Testament, God's house is not built of stone and mortar and timber. In the New Testament, God's house is built of people. Adrian Rogers put it this way, in the Old Testament, God had a house for His people. But in the New Testament, God has a people for His house. We are being built together, he said, as a habitation of God in the Spirit. Now, when he spoke of the temple, he did so uh, to remind us that things are better in the New Testament. Hebrews 9 and 23, it was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. You see, the Old Testament was a type, a picture, a figure of the place where God abodes. But now... In Jesus Christ, we have Him there literally in the presence of God for us. We are in Him. He is in heaven in the presence of God. Everything is new and everything's better in Jesus Christ. The temple or tabernacle of God is used in reference to Jesus Christ Himself in the Scripture. John chapter 2 and verse 19, Jesus said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. You see, when Jesus Christ was on this earth, Jesus was the abode, the dwelling place, the temple, the house of God. In him dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus never appeared in the Holy of Holies. Unless he went in there when the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, that would have been his only visit there during his entire life. He was not going, you see, into the pattern. He's going into the true place, the very presence of God. John chapter 1 and verse 14 spoke of him as the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the word there for dwelt is tabernacle. The word was made flesh and tabernacle dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and of truth. So that was the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. It was a type, a figure of the presence of God. There was a temple of God that is the, the bodily presence of Jesus Christ so that when Jesus was on the earth, He was the temple, the dwelling place of God. But oh, I want to I show you something this morning. For many of you, this is not new information, and that's a good thing. But let's notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What know you not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he very obviously was speaking of individual believers in Jesus Christ. You see, the fact is that when you receive Christ as your Savior, the mighty Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your life. That's how Jesus can say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How is that possible? Because He lives inside of us. Now, if we ask you, what did it feel like when Jesus came to live in you? I heard about a little girl 
who was saved once and and of course like all of us but after she was saved and she began to wonder what it was like to have Jesus in her heart she couldn't feel it she wanted to go to the doctor why the mother said you want to go to the doctor she said I want one of those ear things so I can listen and see if I can hear Jesus in my heart well of course you're not going to hear him even with those little ear thingies. It's not going to happen. When you were saved and the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in your life, you would think that would have been the most incredible thing. And obviously it was. We sense the joy of sins forgiven. We sense that release that comes from knowing that where once we were afraid and once we were terrified and, and once we were ashamed, once we were feeling that convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and now there is that peace, marvelous peace, that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. But if at that exact moment in time we could have climbed up on a scale, we wouldn't have weighed anymore. Though the incredible Spirit of God, God, had taken up residence in our lives. Sometimes I'm afraid, for myself certainly, and for all of us, that we've heard so much about Jesus living in us and the Holy Spirit living in us that we kind of get desensitized to it. And so this morning, I just want to stop for a moment and remind us all that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible calls you a temple of God because the Spirit of God lives in you and He never leaves you. He's with you wherever you go. He watches whatever you watch, listens to whatever you listen to. He's there as an audience to every word we say, every conversation we have. He is constantly with us. And because we are a temple of God, Paul tells them, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. There's more to this than just me and my life because the Spirit of God dwells in us all. And because the Spirit of God dwells in all of us individually, then when we come together collectively as a church, that church, it shouldn't surprise you, is also called a temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, you would see very clearly that he was talking to them about the church. And when he talked about destroying the temple, he was talking about destroying a church. And that happens. It happens far too often. The temple of God is holy. Later on, he would write uh, through Titus to tell people how that we are to behave ourselves in the house of God, which is the church of God. There's a way to behave ourselves when we come together in church. So when we speak of us individually, the Bible speaks of us being the temple of God. When he speaks of, then to, of us when we come together collectively as a church, he speaks of how that the Spirit of God dwells in us. And he is indeed here this morning. I think if we were more cognitive of that, if we thought about it just a little bit more, 
then perhaps there would be a greater sense of significance about our life and about our bodily life as a church. So let's just talk about it a little bit this morning. We'll see, first of all, the spiritual reality, how that we have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This speaks directly to our spiritual position in Christ as he tells us in verse 4, God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ and he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ and in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding rich of his gra- richness of his grace, riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Again and again, he emphasizes that truth of being in Christ Jesus and having Christ in us. And that is officially known as the doctrine of union with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 puts it this way, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There it is again, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We speak often about the family of God, and rightly so, although that expression, the family of God, is is not found in Scripture. It's one we have coined together and put together uh, to emphasize the spiritual oneness that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. The truth is that when we are saved, every one of us then is in Christ, and every one of us have Christ in us. And because we are in Christ and we have Christ in us, that means that we have a spiritual connection with Him. But it also means that we have a spiritual connection with everybody else who is in Jesus Christ. You might have had the experience, as I have many times, of traveling in various places, maybe in countries where you don't even speak the same language as the people that you're around. And yet, if you are around Christian people, people who genuinely know Jesus Christ, there is a sense in which you feel that family connection. That comes because that person is in Christ if they're genuinely saved. I'm in Christ. And because Christ is in me and I'm in Christ and Christ is in them and they're in Christ, then that spiritual connection then plays out with us all. But there's not just the spiritual connection, and that has to be there. There's also in the passage the physical manifestation in whom you also are builded together, he says, for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Builded together. Now, it's great to be able to sing like we did today about that great family meeting that's going to happen one day. (laughs) Oh, what a day that is indeed going to be when we'll see Jesus Christ and We'll enjoy Him and His people forever. We'll live out the promise, so shall we ever be with the Lord. But God did not leave us just to live our lives out in constant anticipation of what a glorious, wonderful time that's going to be when we all get to go to heaven. But instead, He gives us a way where we can have a connection with other believers here on this earth. And that is through that marvelous institution that Jesus Christ himself started, a local New Testament church. You see, the place where our connectivity with other people is played out is through the local church. And we live in a day when churches are under fire. 
and uh, books are written that denounce the church and whole Christian industries and, and ministries are conducted to help people stay at home and bypass the Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11 says, There it comes, I am the Alpha and the Omega, uh, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned, that's John the Apostle, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, Jesus gave us a promise. Where two or three of you gather together in my name, he said, there will I be in the midst of them. And right there, then, in the opening scene of the book of Revelation, as Jesus mentioned, not one, but seven churches, seven real churches, it might as well have said Faith Baptist in Cabot. It didn't, but it could have. Those were seven churches. They all had a location. They were in Asia. John, no doubt, had visited every one of those churches during his ministry, and he knew them all. God had spoke to him then, and he says, you've got a message here for these. And, and when John then turned around to see who was speaking, what he saw was Jesus Christ moving among those lampstands, and those lampstands represented those churches. In a passage I've always found personally uh, comforting, uh, he would go on to talk about how that he had the stars uh, of, of those churches in his right hand, the angels, the messenger of those churches. You see, Jesus Christ is personally involved through the presence of the Holy Spirit with every one of his churches all around the world as we meet together. Of course, some of them met yesterday, <laughs> uh, that international date line. Or does that mean they meet tomorrow? I, I can't ever. One or the other. Um, <coughs> Jesus Christ meets with them all and is most personally involved and interactive in every single one of them. You see, there was a time when we were separate. We were individuals. We could be conceived of as, as, as like the pieces of, of a great project that were just kind of scattered around. But God did not leave us that way. He intends for us to be a part of something, something with structure, something that has an appearance, something that has a plan, an operating purpose. <laughs> And in the end, it becomes a place where God is at home. The habitation of God in the Spirit. In the building then, there are three things that are mentioned. There's the diversity of materials. And the materials composing God's temple or building are the exact same group that's called fellow citizens and members of the household of God. These are believers. In a building, you see diversity of materials. It's not a liability. It's a necessity. You have to have all kinds of different things in order to make a structure and to make it work. In a great house, Paul would say, there are all kinds of vessels. There are all kinds of things. And 
the point is that we all have our place. We all have our place. There's also the foundation, and the foundation is mentioned very carefully. The apostles were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. These are the men that God used to record His Word for us. These are the men who proclaimed the message of salvation and who recorded then the truth of the gospel. Jesus told them in John chapter 14 and verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said unto you. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, They that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto who? Added to the church. Saved. Baptized. Added to the church. About 3,000. And that wasn't the end. They continued then steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. You see, the apostles were given a supernatural gift of knowledge so that they could remember all of the things that Jesus said they walked around as kind of a living New Testament for many years. Eventually, the Holy Spirit would uh, call them, inspire them to begin to write these words down so that what we have when we read the New Testament today is an accurate reflection of the truth of Jesus Christ and that truth that continued to be revealed through the prophets and the apostles so that all of the teachings of Jesus Christ with all of their application to the lives of His people are given to us with the promise the man of God can be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We are built, you see, on the apostles' doctrine and also on fellowship. What does church then do for us? It provides a foundational experience for us all. We need to learn the truth of God, and we need to fellowship with one another. That's what the church does. We teach the truth of God. We fellowship with other believers. Until recently, the numbers of Americans who identify as Christians remained pretty constant at around 70% of Americans who claim to be church members, Christians, church members. Church attendance then plummeted over the last couple of decades, from that 60% range into the 30%, some studies are even showing the 20% range. It's no surprise that the number of Americans identifying as Christians is on the decline. You see, the New Testament did not present a version of Christianity where people do not attend church or do not become a part of a church. That's not God's idea. That's not God's plan. God's idea was called the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize them, and teach them everything I taught you. How did they play out? How did that play out? Well, we don't have to wait a whole long time. Acts chapter 2. On the same day that they preached the gospel, 3,000 of them were saved, baptized, and added to the church. And that was a pattern that they continued to follow throughout the New Testament era. It certainly isn't in our history when we think about Christianity without the church. Uh, believers throughout our history have risked their very lives and those of their families to attend church even when they had to hide in caves and catacombs and groves and even in homes. Bibles were in short supply. 
Kids were taught to memorize scriptures so that the truth of God most precious to them could be preserved. It's God's plan. God's plan that people would be saved, baptized, added to the church, and taught the things of God. Now, i got a confession for you today. You know, to me, I, I enjoy, I really do, I enjoy church. I do. I enjoy church even when I'm not preaching. I like listening to somebody else preach. I enjoy when people sing. I, I really, really do enjoy it. It's fun to me, but I have to confess, it wasn't always very fun. When I, when I was a kid, I don't remember church being fun at all. Church was a place where you went and you were still. Anybody else know about that? If you weren't still, uh, my mama would pinch a plug out of me. I mean, uh, I'm going to pinch a plug out of you. Oh, she never did punch a plug out of me, but uh, she tried really hard a time or two. I got the message. You go to church and you be still and you be quiet. I didn't think of it much as fun. I did a lot of other things that wasn't fun. I had to learn arithmetic. That wasn't fun. Uh, I had to learn how to spell. Uh, I never did. Thank God for a spell checker. Uh, I've, I've gotten better over the years, but uh, not that good. Uh, grammar was not fun. I tried one cent at, at foreign language when I was in school. I didn't like it. And then I got to seminary, and I had to learn not one but two. I didn't get conversant in Greek or Hebrew, but I did learn a little bit about it. Uh, learning these things, whatever they are, is hard work. And it's not always fun. It's really not designed to be. Most parents gladly embrace the importance of providing their children with a good education. Truancy laws exist in most communities. You can get in trouble if you don't provide for your children's education. I submit to you today that learning the words of Almighty God is every bit as important as any part of a child's education. They need to learn it. It may not be fun. They may not particularly like it. But they've got to learn it. And over time, over time, they will grow to where they will appreciate the things that they've been taught and know how to apply them. Schools can't teach our kids everything, and churches can't teach your kids everything they need to know. Some things children have to learn from their parents. Uh, little boys have to learn how to fix things and how to work on things, and they have to learn that from their dads. And little girls uh, have to learn how to cook and clean and sew, and yes, they have to learn that from their moms. And, and, and not to appear somebody that's just a complete fuddy-duddy, I would say, yes, there's room for girls to be taught how to do yard work and how to fix things, and there's rooms for boys to be taught how to do the laundry and how to cook. Call it cross-training. Okay? We need it all. My point is, there's a lot of things we learn that will make us successful in life that you can't learn in school. There's a lot of things your kids will learn about how to be successful in life that they're not going to learn in church. That's true. A lot of it has to be reinforced at home. The truth is that no matter how much I can thunder about how important church is, uh, still, in the end, they're going to learn how important it is because mom and daddy get them up on Sundays and Wednesdays and get them ready 
and bring them to church. That's how they learn. From the very beginning of the public ministry of the church on Pentecost, the divine imperative of the Great Commission is clearly played out, and it still is today. As people identify then and learn the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The last thing that he brings to mind then, there are the constituent materials, the, uh, the parts of the building project that are being built together, and that is the people of God, uh, the citizens uh, of heaven, uh, the members of the family of God are built together in a place uh, that is a spiritual habitation of God through the local church. Uh, then there's the cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. The cornerstone in ancient time was considered the most important part of the building. When the cornerstone was set in place, everything else that was put on that building was measured in connection with the cornerstone. And if everything was laid out so that it was square and in line and plumb with the cornerstone, then the whole building would be square and in line and plumb. The cornerstone. Being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets means that we commit ourselves to the learning and doing of all things that Jesus Christ has taught us. We'll never do it all perfectly. Uh, none of us individually do it all. Never be a church that perfectly does it all. But we know what the standard is because Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Amen. We know what is right because we can look to him and he is always before us. When you walk through a newly constructed house, then, uh, you will probably never say, look at that board. You'll probably never say, look at that screw. You'll probably never say, look at that nail. You'll probably never say, look at that sheet of sheetrock. You'll probably never say, look at that ceiling tile. You don't see it that way. Because what you see when you look at a new place, a building that is fitly framed together, is, is you just see the building. My, it's a beautiful place. If you notice a nail, the chances are you notice it because it's worked out of place, because it's not set, hadn't been covered up just right or else you wouldn't notice it. If you notice some board, a particular board, it's probably because it's come loose and it's hanging down. And You'll say, somebody needs to fix that. You see, when we are being built together as believers in Christ for a habitation of God through the Spirit, this is not a place for us to stand out individually. It is instead what we are collectively that matters. A habitation of God through the Spirit. Built on the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. I want to close out this morning with a passage that we're going to return to next week for our last message, our concluding message in our series on our peace in Christ because it shows to us, I, I would have loved to have done it today, but I couldn't give it the treatment that I wanted to, so we'll just save it. Actually, it won't be next week, two weeks from today. Ephesians 3, 9.
to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, if, if all men can see something, it has to be visible. <laughs> uh, right? I mean, it has to be. And that's a big thing because a lot about our faith is not visible. I can't see in your heart. I can't see your faith. I can't look in your eyes and tell whether you're saved or not. I can't look in you and see whether the Holy Spirit lives in you or not, and neither can anybody else. But what we do see, what we do see, and what the principalities and powers see is the wisdom of God put on display in a church. God has a purpose, a plan, and that plan is to put His eternal wisdom on display in His churches. We'll talk about that next week, but for now, let's just understand what an incredible truth that is. That when we gather together, God puts His gospel on display through all of you and through me. As we come together and we worship together and we pray together and we sing praises to God together, God is putting His eternal wisdom on display. And He intends then for us to display that to a watching world as a part of His masterpiece of peace. I wonder today, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received Him? Has there been that time in your life where you understood that you were a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for your sins? If you have received Him as your Savior, then you are one of the fellow citizens of the saints. You are members of the household of God. And it's God's plan and purpose then for you to be part of a local New Testament church where you're being built together with other believers for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Is this playing out in your life? Maybe today you need to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe today you need to follow Him in baptism. Maybe today you've realized why it's important to be a part of a church. Maybe you need to make a decision about that today. Let's stand together, please.